¿Qué fue? Y bienvenido a Metrospective, el podcast de baseball numero uno en Ecuador. According to one website I found and now check religiously, I am Ted Berg. I am joined on the line by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, I hate to say I told you so, but if you listen back to the last episode, I said very clearly that the Mets, with matchups against Garrett Richards and Nick Pavetta against the Red Sox, were ready to break out offensively. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is what happened in the form of one runs, one run total over two games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to get more than nine hits when you only have 62 at-bats in a series. So I think I think this constituted the breakout everyone has been waiting for with Mets baseball. First of all, like, I, do you can you watch the Mets? I feel like you're learning all these different languages and basically just reading up on our, our geographic diversity um, so, uh, rather than you know, doing anything else. No, it's, it's a, it's a morning checkup type thing. Like uh, this morning I was like, I wonder where, how we're, how we're doing in, in around the world. Um, and I've, I've closed the page, but we're, I mean, we're on the charts everywhere, but the, the, the number one in Ecuador, I don't know how popular baseball podcasts are in Ecuador, but, uh, ours is the most popular, which suggests to me that there is at least someone out there in Ecuador. Uh, someplace I've always wanted to go, honestly, listening to this podcast. There's not a, there's not a ton of baseball in Ecuador. I would assume it's an, an expat of some sort, but uh, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard uh, Quito is a, a wonderful place to go. So I heard, yeah, I've heard that the like it's just a, a really nice climate there because it's so mountainous, but but equatorial, and that has always that has always intrigued me. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I would like to check that out. And the Galapagos, you know, there's a lot there. I, I have been watching the Mets though, unfortunately. I I, I must admit, uh, you know, I'm J- Jacob Degrom was was pitching yesterday. That's appointment viewing. I. I set my TiVo as always, but but I snuck over to the the TV at at six forty when the game started and averted my children's eyes from the 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 horrible horrible screen time and I, I tuned in to watch a a nightmarish outing for Jacob Degrom in which he only managed six innings, three hits, uh, nine strikeouts, and he he even walked a guy. Uh, is he wrong? Is something has something gone horribly awry for him? It is it is remarkable when you watch a Degrom start, and there is you know like that second inning he gave up multiple hits. Uh, I hard, you know what the first thing hits. I thought was you know what the first thing I thought was when they hit the ball they hit the ball hard like three times in a row, and I was like they're obviously stealing signs. That was like the only thing I there was like Alex Cora is doing is up to his old tricks. They got to check the iPads. There's there's something going on here because there's someone just hit the ball hard off Jacob Degrom. Right. I mean, it's it was only the second inning all season that he'd given up multiple hits. The other one being that that one inning in Colorado, uh, and it's it's remarkable when you see him pitch. Uh, and like, I feel like I, I don't know about you, but during the course of that game, even while he's pitching, you know, while the results are are good, you get the sense when you've watched him be on as often as we have. That, yeah, like this this was more of a slog for him against uh I don't know if they're still the highest scoring offense after this series, but against a team that came into the series as the highest scoring offense in baseball, uh that 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 line of, of six innings, three hits, one run, one walk, nine strikeouts, uh you know, to do that against a team with what seemed like his C stuff. You know, like his he couldn't locate yeah, his was, fast he had right. no fastball location, which, mm-hmm. you know, for for most pitchers means you're done in the second inning, maybe the third. Uh, and he, you know, we've seen him, his first start, he didn't throw his changeup. His second start, he didn't really throw his slider. His fifth start, this one, 
Uh, he he went away from his fastball as his, his primary weapon. I mean, you still, you still have to throw a fastball. You can't just shelve it entirely. Uh, but, you know, we saw a lot of sliders and changeups, like entire at-bats that were sliders or changeups against guys. Uh, and that still worked against uh, a really good offense uh, in Boston. Uh, so it is that is kind of the crazy thing about DeGrom is, you know, you have those starts like last Friday where everything is clicking. But, you know, a, a starting pitcher will tell you, you get 30 starts a year, maybe five where you've got nothing, five where you've got everything. And those 20 in the middle that are you've kind of, that's what defines your season, how, what you make out of those starts. Uh, and DeGrom's 20 in the middle feel like everyone else's five where they've got everything. Yeah, it felt like his his fastball was sailing on him a little bit. Like he threw several that were like two feet above the strike zone, which you almost never see him miss miss spots that badly. But at the same time with DeGrom, you always get the sense that he's, whenever something's off like that, he's just sort of recalibrating like rapidly on the mound. And so by the time, you know, the the, the sixth inning came around and they pulled him, Scott, you you're not going to try bringing him out for the seven. Like I, I was thinking it felt like he had settled into the point or figured out how to work with what he had that I, I was still thinking he was going to be okay moving forward. I don't, I don't think they made the wrong move pulling him there, especially after the, the long outing in his previous start. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a testament to him that even when he clearly doesn't have his best stuff, you know, that he is, figuring it out constantly in the process of, of figuring out how to work with what he's got. And as you mentioned, what he's got on a bad day is better than what everyone else has on a good day. Yeah, you, you go back to that start in Colorado where uh, it, w- it was, again, the second inning. The second inning has been DeGrom's problem this year. He's given up six hits in five second innings this year. He's given That's up a horrible. hit in every second inning. Um, you go back to that start in Colorado. He gave up the leadoff double to, to Blackman in the second inning. Uh, I think he walked C.J. Crone, uh, which was his last walk before last night. Uh, and he just, in general, didn't, like, he, he was struggling with his fastball command. And then he threw, like, a first-pitch fastball to Josh Fuentes that was on the inside corner, like, exactly where he wanted to throw it. Uh, and I, I think the SNY crew at the time was like, oh, well, that was his best pitch of the uh, of the game. That that looked good. Uh, and then he struck out the next nine guys. It was like, the you know, the, he threw the one pitch he needed to throw, and everything was back to normal. Uh, and it feels, you know, Louis Rojas has said, and, and this could work as a segue when I finish making this point, that Francisco Lindor keeps feeling like he's one swing away from finding it. DeGrom, you know, even when he's not, in, when he doesn't have his A game, that he's one pitch away from everything just like locking in and and being right where he wants it to be. Yeah, and with the outing, DeGrom's ERA exploded to 0.51. His strikeout to walk rate uh, plummeted to... 14.75, his ERA plus all the way down to 744. Uh, just, you know, it, it doesn't look quite as sunny as it did uh, a few days ago, but you alluded to the real story here. You know, for as facetious as we can be with the Grom, we have to be kind of serious about the Mets offense. It's early. It looks bleak. And and Francisco Lindor, who you mentioned, uh, is sort of right in that he's had some big opportunities that, that he has not come through with. He's There's a ton of expectations. And he has been, to his credit, pretty candid about about struggling in the early part of his of his long tenure with the Mets. Yeah, you know they're they're down. They've got fifty seven runs in nineteen games. That's that's an even three per, which is the worst in baseball. 
uh, that, you know, we can talk about runners in scoring position, and I am sure that we will uh, today and and in perpetuity moving forward. Uh, but, you know, the, the issue this series was not runners in scoring position. They were they were eight for 55 without runners in scoring position, which is about one for seven. And they were one for seven with runners in scoring position. So that it wasn't like a, a matter of clutching. The one hit, by the way, did not score a run because uh, it was hit too hard, uh, I think, by by J.D. Davis to left field. Maybe it was James McCann, one of those on, on Tuesday night. I uh, was a right-handed batter. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the team overall looked... I think Wednesday night they, they looked as uh, off, which is the word that, that Louis Rojas had used. Like they just they were just off. Uh, and they looked that way from early on in that game. You know, they got the two walks to start, but the rest of that first inning, uh, they, they kind of, you know, Alonzo was chasing, chased a few sliders. He, you know, he struck out five times in a row over the course of the series, uh, chasing some pitches outside. Uh, they, they let a couple fastballs go. Like Jeff McNeil let a first pitch fastball go. Mm-hmm. That was a called strike, which you almost never see. Uh, Dom Smith missed, you know, they, they had some slider. Pavetta left some sliders up in the zone that they Yeah, he left one to through. Smith that, that I thought, I think it was to Smith, where it was like, oh, give him that pitch again. It, you know, it was 85 and hung right over the middle. And and I think he just didn't swing on the one I, I was thinking. Of. But yeah, it was, there were there were some hittable pitches thrown, at least to, to my untrained eye. Yeah, like on, on Tuesday, you know, Garrett Richards has not pitched well this season, but has the stuff to look the way he did on Tuesday. Like, he, you know, that was a well-pitched game by Garrett Richards. Uh, not not that Nick Pavetta's was not well-pitched, like he pitched pretty well, but it, he made mistakes. There were opportunities there to turn that start in a different direction for the Mets uh, pretty early in the, those first two innings in particular. Uh, and yeah, I think the pitcher mentioning the, the Smith pitch, I think it was a 2-0 slider that he just swung through that was, that was up you know, upper half of the zone. Uh, and there were a few of those for different guys in that game. So they just, the whole team looked off, you know, it wasn't, you know, Lindor has, has gotten a lot of the, the spotlight because he's the guy who has the $341 million contract and is the shiny new acquisition. But there's, you know, outside really of, of Brandon Nimmo and uh, JD Davis and Alonzo's home run hitting, uh, there, there hasn't been a lot to like in how the lineup has performed uh, all season. They're they're dead last in the National League in OPS. They have the most strikeouts in the league, despite not playing as many games as a bunch of teams. It looks bleak, is it? But this is the offense that coming into the season, I think we were both and, and a lot of other people very excited about because it, it seemed like it was so deep. And they have all these guys with with very strong track records, and you know they brought in uh, they brought in Lindor, they brought in McCann. It's just adding adding some length to that lineup, uh, and here we are. And and they have not been that team. Does something need to change here? Is there like what what has to happen next? Yeah, I mean, you and I have watched the Mets long enough that we have seen bad offenses. Like the, the I, I go back to the 2009 offense with uh, Jeremy Reed and Corey Sullivan hitting in the middle of the order by the end of the season, uh, and a team that just couldn't score. And and you know, you everyone remembers the infamous uh, Eric Campbell, John Maryberry Jr. Uh, heart of the order uh, in 2015, uh, earlier you know in July when that offense was going through it. Uh, but this is an offense that, like, personnel-wise, should not be this. Should not be going through a 19-game stretch like this, let alone right at the start of the season. You know, the 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 Twitter sphere wants Chili Davis fired. Uh, the Twitter sphere generally wants people fired. Uh, you need to have 
if you're saying something on Twitter, if you don't end in some sort of like declarative a- actionable item, then you might as well say nothing, right? You have to have like a strong, conclusive take. You can't just say, I'm frustrated that the Mets offense is bad. No one's going to like that or retweet that. But if you say, I frustrated, I'm frustrated the Mets offense is bad, and this is an indication that after 19 games, the guy that was their hitting coach 19 games ago and seemed fine is now the wrong choice and must be fired. Right, and, and you know, firing a hit... So- so in general, firing a hitting coach, like your team does hit better after. But I, I really don't know that that's, that's a correlation, a causation thing. I think it's generally like you fire a hitting coach because your team is disappointing and then you hit well, you better fire, after. Well, you fire, it's it's regression to the mean, right? It's, right. It's you, you fire a hitting coach because your team is underperforming, because you are overreacting to a small sample size. And then when that team inevitably hits better... It's it's the same as the like the um you know the the sophomore slump even is is I think regression to the mean a lot of the times a guy plays above his head for a year and, and then he comes back to earth in his second year you say oh it's that sophomore slump but no one talks about when it's flipped and a guy plays much better in his second year so uh, the Madden curse I think is another example like a football player has an exceptionally good year and then the next one gets hurt or or falls back to earth because it's regression to the mean again people say it's a, it's a curse it's um it's it's uh like post hoc ergo propter hoc or whatever is the <laughs> the logical fallacy um i don't think that i don't think that chili davis is the man because this is the same hitting coach that all of these many of these same hitters had last year when they were good so what did the message change did the did he stop getting through i doubt it i think this is i hate to say it i think this is a small sample size and i think this is bad luck yeah, and, and uh, there will be people who say, well, he wasn't there last year, and, and uh, he still led all of the meetings last year uh, for the team every day over Zoom, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't there in person. Uh, and this is a guy, like, if your issue with the Mets offense is that their approach uh, relies too much on home runs, too much on walks, uh, they strike out too much, they don't use the other side of the field, uh, those are all of the things that Chili Davis, more so than most any hitting coach in, in Major League Baseball right now, preaches against those those are the things he doesn't want you to do like he talks about uh, an all-fields approach more than some other hitting coaches i mean i've uh, heard he him criticized for exactly that thing like that for people saying oh well this guy is not up to speed in it with contemporary baseball he's preaching the wrong thing but now that it's not working you know now that it's not working then it's his fault and you know in 2019 his first year with the mets there were a lot of guys in that clubhouse who credited him you know, I remember Michael Conforto saying Conforto was a guy who had struggled situationally previously, uh, especially, you know, like the the runner on third less than two out spot. Uh, and he got much better at that uh, in 2019 because of the work he had done with Chili Davis. And I, I wrote this uh, for Thursday morning. Like I, I look back and, and when we get into runners in scoring position, it'll be interesting to talk about but like Xander Bogarts with the Red Sox. Uh, had like this awful start to his career with runners in scoring position. It was, I think, 20 for 135. Uh, and he was like 12 for 100 with runners in scoring position at one point in his rookie season. Uh, and uh, when they brought in Chili Davis the next year, uh, he hit 330 with runners in scoring position. And he he pointed to the work he had done uh, with Chili. So I, I, I don't think that's the issue. My favorite hitting coach change, by the way. Uh, so the Mets in 99 infamously switched hitting coaches. They moved on from the late Tom Robson. Uh, they brought in, I, I think it was Mickey Brantley. And the team's OPS actually dropped 10 points after they brought in the new hitting coach. 
but they scored more than half a run per game more the rest of the season, which, like, is that a successful hitting coach change? The team I, did yeah, worse like offensively pure good luck, uh, right? on yeah. a process, but but the results were better because this is, you know, this is what happens when you look at small samples and things are weird and they eventually even out, uh, you know, that the offense as a whole is performing poorly now. I don't think you fire a guy 20 games into the season because of that. I, my research on hitting coach changes indicates that there, I think there's been like one in the last, in this century or so that, that happened in April. Uh, so that that's, it's, it's too early to be having this conversation. And the hitting coach conversation is almost always a scapegoat conversation anyway. Right. It is. We, we need to, we can't fire eight guys in the lineup. So we got to find someone to go and sorry, bud, like, sorry, Chili Davis, but your card is, is being pulled, which hopefully won't happen. Uh, because like I said, if, if he's your guy 19 games ago, you should never allow 19 games to, to change that, right? Like you need, you, of course you need to keep an open mind and, and be fluid and all those things, but there should be nothing in a, in a 19 game sample to make you think like, Oh, what we thought, a month ago is no longer true, and and I think the same goes because I have also heard some some thoughts on the on the Twitter sphere about about Luis Rojas, um, you know, and I think that there have been some strategic uh, decisions this this year that have felt curious. I think that a lot more goes into those than than we ever really know uh, in terms of you know what guys how guys are feeling on certain days and how who's who's got stuff going on all, all those different things. I, I again I just don't think it's I think it's premature. I think it feels like a, a panic move in, in either case. And uh, my take is, talk to me at the end of May. You know, uh, when Memorial Day comes around, and this if this Mets offense is still dead last in the National League in OPS, then okay, then like then fine. Then you want, and I would still think it would be a, a sort of knee jerk reaction, but at least you have a, a larger sample at this point. Nineteen games should not be something you you make a decision on. And and uh, I tend to dismiss as well the runners in scoring position conversation. Like, my take would always be, team's not hitting. They're not hitting with runners in scoring position. Of course the Mets have bad numbers then because they have bad numbers. But uh, I will take your bait because it seems like it's something you're very eager to talk about. Uh, the, the one point I want to make before we get into that, when you make decisions 19 games into a season, you do things like release Travis Darno. Uh, in right. 2019 off of 25 at-bats. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's the decisions you make at the end of April... Uh, that are knee-jerk reactions to what you've seen in April tend more to be those decisions rather than ones that at the end of the year you're like that was a good move we made that move right at right at the right time right uh I have a lot of thoughts about runners in scoring position uh so it was obviously I want to hear them I want to hear I don't I don't I know I just dismissed them but I do I I respect you Tim I want to hear your thoughts (laughs) so obviously it was it was an issue all of last season you know the the Mets uh, the, the stat that I like to use is, is T-O-P-S plus. So it, it compares uh, how you do as a team in a given split versus how you do otherwise. Uh, so 100 would be average. Uh, the Mets had a T-O-P-S plus uh, of 83 with runners in scoring position last year. They were 17% worse with runners in scoring position than they were at any other point uh, under normal circumstances. Sorry, without runners in scoring position, uh, which was the worst a team had done uh, with runners in scoring position since the 98 Devil Rays. Uh, so they were bad with runners in scoring position, but most of the guys who were the worst with runners in scoring position are not on this team. Uh, right. Basically, J.D. Davis was the one who was bad all of last year with runners in scoring position. 
Uh, he went, uh, I have it here, uh, he went 7 for 42 with runners in scoring position last year, which was not good. But uh, the rest of the like regulars in your lineup, uh, they started the season poorly with runners in scoring position. And the second half of the season were actually pretty good in that spot. Like Alonzo was 7 for 37 halfway through the year uh, with runners in scoring position and then went 8 for 27 the rest of the way. Uh, Jeff McNeil started three for 17, went nine for 22. Like that, that group of players, uh, which hit like 225 with runners in scoring position the first half of the year, hit 299 the second half. Uh, they improved. And the weird thing happening now is the guys who did not improve last year, so that's Davis, that's Brandon Nimmo, who actually was five for 20 the first half of the season and five for 20 the second half of the season uh, in that spot. Those guys are the guys who are actually doing well this year with runners in scoring position. Nimmo's five yeah, for 11. Just- Davis right. is three for nine. And the guy who was your best hitter with runners in scoring position last year, uh, Dominic Smith, consistent throughout the season, he's the guy who's two for 17 this year. Um, so all of that tells me that it's still like, it looks like it's sticky. It looks like it's the same issue recurring again for the same players because it's occurring for the same team. But actually on a kind of granular basis, uh, the individuals who make up that team are not... It, it, it hasn't been a consistent struggle for any one of them uh, over the course of the last season plus, which is still 79 games. Uh, this is still half a season's worth of, of data. Uh, so I don't know if that, that constitutes an ecological fallacy, which I remember from uh, Stats 101. It, it, something like that might be in play here, but I, I don't want to throw around words like that that I don't actually know the meaning of anymore. I mean, I would just point again to the the at bat samples you're we're dealing with. You're talking about, you know, if it's if it's Dominic Smith being two for nineteen, it's nineteen at bat. You know, it's it's it, I don't know. It's just it's the type of thing we notice because it's isolated at the beginning of the se- season, and it's the type of thing where if it happened even for a nineteen game stretch, I think in the middle of the year you'd be like, ah, you know, they they haven't really come through recently, but like the numbers say they're fine. I think the numbers say. They're going to be fine. I think you look at the the back of the baseball cards always and say, Jeff McNeil, not this bad of a hitter. Dom Smith, not this bad of a hitter. Uh, Francisco Lindor, definitely not this bad of a hitter, right? Like all of the Conforto, not this bad of a hitter. All of these guys, they have track records, right? It's not like this was like a, a bunch of, of uh, dice rolls and coin tosses. These are guys who are experienced and successful major league hitters. And those guys, far more often than not, return to hitting the way they always hit and the way they always hit is a heck of a lot better than this and actually this is you know we talked about rojas uh one of the things i didn't like uh this week was like after tuesday's game uh you know they lose two to one uh he was asked about the the offense naturally again uh and he brought up the the runners in scoring position thing which you know tuesday like they went one for three with runners in scoring position. Uh, that was not an issue in that game. They they only had three. That's a they, that was a great game. When you when you only have three plate appearances with runners in scoring position over a nine inning game, like that, they went six for twenty nine in the other at bats. Uh, seemed to be more of the problem. And you know, I wonder sometimes if if we talk so much about the runners in scoring position that you you know you're you're focusing on the tree rather than the forest of of offense production and you're also like making uh the team think about it more and more and the team have to answer questions about it more and more uh and it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy i remember brandon nimmo talking last year Mm -hmm. about you know you 
you want to you keep telling yourself not to make that situation feel any different you want to have the same approach as you normally do but that's all you know just telling yourself that is what makes it different that you're reminding yourself of that in the box um and so i worry that the mets are worrying too much about their performance with with runners in scoring position and i want to say before we get to our reader questions because we had a we are not reader questions listener questions we had a bunch of them this week and I, I want to get to a couple of them uh you had a great piece what's gone wrong for francisco lindor and the mets offense on the athletic uh where you dive into it quite a bit and it is definitely worth a read if you are if this is something you're fretting about and this is something i think all mets fans are uh fretting about a little bit i would again maintain they're gonna be okay can we? Are you? Do you have any more points to make about about the Mets' offense that uh, that are either not in there um, or or are so pressing that we cannot ignore? I will. I will just briefly summarize. So Lindor, the two things to watch for moving forward: uh, how does he do against fastballs? Because that mm-hmm. was what he struggled with last year and what he struggled with early this season. There are some encouraging signs. He's done well against hard fastballs, ninety-five and up. Uh, and is he still hitting the ball on the ground? Because uh, so far this year, his ground ball rate's over 50%. Uh, that's kind of where it was early in his career, in 15 and 16. Uh, and then when he was hitting 30 home runs a season, uh, the ground ball rate was down to like 40%. Uh, so if he wants to get to his power, he has to hit the ball more in the air. Let's see. Like Those are the two things I'm going to be watching with Lindor over the next couple of weeks uh, to see how, you know, how, how concerned you should be about kind of a larger trend rather than just uh, the, the struggles he's got at the plate right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. One question comes from a guy named Mike who emailed me a couple weeks ago because he heard our stickball conversation. He said, actually, the type of stickball I played growing up sounds exactly like yours and, and the places you describe. And we emailed a little more. He turned out he basically grew up in the same town as me. And so we had played stickball on all of the same fields, which is why it sounded familiar. He wants to know, um, and and this is a, this is like a, a, almost like for including it here, feels like a a clickbait podcast move just because it's it's uh, a hotter button than I'm normally going to press. Um, he said he's thinking about Matt Harvey. If he winds up regaining his form with Baltimore, do you think he might make a good midseason acquisition target for the Mets? He looked like the old Dark Knight against the Yankees. Do you think that's even a remote possibility? Uh, it, I mean, how how wonderfully full circle would that be if he, it would if he be were to cool. come back and? Uh, I think the Dark Knight Returns, right? Like that was a, was that I think that was one of the movies. Uh, that was, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, it would be fun, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, it would be more fun than The Dark Knight Returns the Movie, which I think we can all agree was the worst of that sequel, uh, that, that trilogy, sorry. Uh, I think I the, don't remember it at all, so I'm, I'm, and I definitely saw it, so I'm, I'm willing to say, yeah, you're right. Uh, to provide an annoying dose of reality, like I don't think that the Mets will be in the market for a starting pitcher uh, at the trade deadline, which is strange to, to contemplate because uh, you know when you think about what a team needs at the the trade deadline, it's almost always a starting pitcher. Uh, you're, you're always like, you know, when, whenever I've covered a team that I thought was going to be good. Uh, in March and April, I'm already thinking like, who's the guy who's going to be mm-hmm. like the big, who, who, who are we going to be talking about in July for this team to acquire? Uh, and for the Mets, it's, I mean, there's still the chance, you know, with injuries and all that, you never know with starters, but it's, it just seems unlikely uh, that that's going to be their biggest area of need. Uh, and that, you know, instead they'll be focusing on whether it's, it's third base probably seems like the likeliest spot or, right. you know, there will always be a need in the bullpen. Uh you know, maybe if if they view Harvey as a uh, a relief option, that could be uh, you know. He's, but that he's feels out. like that feels so unlikely, right? Because we know already about his routine and how important it is, and I don't understand why you would go out because, like you said, starting pitching is always so valuable at the trade deadline. Why would you go out and play pay that whatever that cost is for a starting pitcher, uh, and then? and then convert them to relief, which is an, which is uncertainty when you could probably pay the same cost and get a, an established reliever. And, and that's kind of my take on it is I, I just think they would be far more likely to trade for a second division teams closer than a, a starter and, and convert. Them. Well, yeah, I can't think of a single example of a team trading for a starter midseason and turning him into the, into a reliever uh, rather than just trading for a reliever, but I'm trying to indulge the fantasy. Of, it would be fine. <laughs> of Matt Harvey coming back and the crowd going nuts uh, when he comes in in a big spot. I, 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 it's like partly the like train wreck enthusiast in me, like kind of wants to see it happen again. You know, I, I would, it would be fun. Uh, second question, uh, a more fun, another fun one. Um, this one comes from Rowan, who's writing us from Ireland and included some sandwich recommendations in Dublin, which I very much appreciate. I, I would love, to go to Ireland. Like, I would love to go anywhere. Um, I went to Brooklyn not long ago, and that felt like I, I was in, on another continent. Uh, he wants to know, what are your thoughts on James McCann's walk-up music? Which, uh, I will take his word for it, because I hadn't noticed. He said, it. he, fe- he feels like he is wasting black, back in black before the black jerseys return. Um, and I would have to agree, especially a, a guy coming from a, a White Sox background, it feels like, Maybe he was that. That's just something he's brought with him. And if they're not bringing, like, if you wanted to change to that when the when the black jerseys came out, it would make sense. Back in black, when they're not wearing black, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I noticed that uh, early in the season that he he was using that song, and I, I thought about tweeting that it would be, make more sense for Friday nights. Uh, but I wasn't sure at that point when we were going to see the black jerseys, if they were going to come right away on Friday nights or if they were going to take a little while. I have since heard that it's probably not until the second half of the season. I don't uh, understand what's taken. Why Why it would take like, – it just feels like at this point we've, we've – and I know it's COVID. It feels like we've got to have the supply change to, to get <laughs> Steve Cohen, like richest man in, in the whatever, the tri-state area. This guy can't get us like 25 black jerseys in a week. Well, 26, that's the problem, is oh, they, right. they've added the extra roster Plus, spot. you need that's, Luis that's Rojas really needs one, Chili <laughs> Davis needs one, like all of the, you need a lot, there are a lot of, okay, 40. 
in 40 black jerseys. I feel like I feel like you could pull that off if you had 10 billion dollars. <laughs> Seems like that's the only reason the only point of having 10 billion dollars is to pull off things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I it does it, it it uh you know, it would have been uh, uh particularly fitting if like he broke out his old at bat music for just uh, that first game in black jerseys. The, the issue is because uh, he's new to the team, people would not have known that's his old at-bat music. Uh, actually, I don't even know that it's his old at-bat. Maybe it's new this year. Uh, yeah, I was I don't assuming know. that he used it in Chicago. Because uh, guys generally, when they when they have good seasons, keep it uh, for a little while. Uh, so uh, it is, at the moment, like... I, I don't want to say wasted. You know, you never know what, what gets a guy going in the box. We, who would have known that uh, Edwin Diaz... Uh, just would not pitch the same without Blaster Jacks and Timmy Trumpet. I, I would have known if I had heard that song even once. I would have been able to tell you for sure that it is not the same once you come in, once you try coming into any other song. Uh, so uh, I'll give I'll give McCann a little bit of uh, a little bit of breathing room on that. But uh, hopefully they like play it louder or something that first Friday night. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I I think back to like like Ike Davis getting really ramped up to start me up by the by the rolling stones which was just felt like anachronistic and uh i remember lucas duda used all along the watchtower which was all and this is so so perfect for lucas duda that was also the default song that they gave to rookies when they came up like if it was just like one one on rotation that if a guy hadn't yet designated his his walk-up song that that's what they use and so i always kind of figured that like duda never put in a new request but it was in fact uh, that was his request. It was just it happened to be the same as like the d- the default stock one that they used, which I found entertaining. Hey, you know, taste is a matter of taste. Uh, if if James McCann's a big ACTC guy, more power to him. I would say uh, you could pick a more original choice there for for your walk up song. I mean, I just appreciate when guys and and again, I don't know if this is McCann. I appreciate when guys keep the same one for a little while and you associate with it. Naturally, if you dislike the song, you get very tired of it very quickly when you cover a team. Uh, uh, dis- like- disagree, strong disagree on account of Johan Santana, who used uh, Smooth, the Carlos Santana, Rob Thomas jam <laughs> of, of my high school senior year, which was like the most, perhaps the most overplayed and just obnoxious song ever. Like it just, I just became so just downright hateful of that song. And <laughs> Johan Santana made it so cool. And and you come out and you're, and you're like, oh yes, I'm in it. This is the cool song now. Just for these 45 seconds that Johan Santana is warming up on the mound, this is my favorite song. Well, I, I will say that for a starting pitcher to use a song is very different from a hitter to use a song. Because uh, mm-hmm. when you cover 81 home games, you hear uh, like That's Mark Teixeira coming up to I Wanna Rock uh, way rock! too many, you know, three times a game for 80 games uh at least the yankees in 2010 had uh like a, a second song for the second at bat uh, uh yeah well so, so i think with the mets guys can pick up up to four like you can actually time it to be like this is my late game at bat and i believe barry bonds at his peak they would play still dre only when he came up in the last few innings like that was that was like the barry bonds like his closer music for for at bat stuff yeah, I do like the idea of, uh, you know, uh, I might have mentioned it's on this podcast. A Tecmo Super Bowl is my favorite video game of all time uh, mm-hmm. for Nintendo. A classic. Uh, and, and I still don't understand how that game was able to save stats and progress when none others were. <laughs> right. Just years ahead of its time. How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> like, how was that technology available and no other Nintendo game used it? I don't get it. 
but they had like the regular music that you played during the regular season and then you know you go 16 and out like you do uh and you get in that first playoff game and you kick off and you hear the other like the playoff music you're like oh no oh it's real now like right. i've got to i've got to concentrate now uh and i like the idea of a a baseball player having like special eighth or ninth inning music like this is not just a regular this is not a first inning at bat right now this is this is for real and i i i also love when it's it's so recognizable that it becomes like the the wrestler thing you know and so like like i remember with with daniel murphy and the the dropkick murphy song it was like that like when when you got like it was they're gonna oh they're gonna go to a pinch hitter here and like oh they haven't used murph today and like he's he's gonna be your best bet on the bench and then it's like and you get fired up like that's cool even i remember mike piazza coming back uh when he was when he after when he was on the padres uh, and and they played that the little Jimi Hendrix riff that was always his his walk up song. And just thinking how cool that was that like everybody that you come to associate these songs with these guys like almost like subconsciously because like you you know I wouldn't have if they played that song on Q one hundred four point three I don't think oh Mike Piazza's warming up but oh Mike Piazza's walking up as soon as you heard it in in Shea Stadium you're, Piazza it's Piazza and uh, that was cool. Yeah, you you love having that connection where. where... You hear the song, you know exactly what who's coming up, what's what's about to happen. Yeah, um, and so uh, yeah, maybe I, maybe James McCann. I don't know. I don't. I feel like I don't know him enough as a player to want to prescribe a new at bat song for him. But uh, maybe I could dive a little bit deeper into ACDC's catalog and <laughs> and come up with something. Uh, few I can think of off the top of my head are stadium appropriate, but uh, you never know. Um, this was good. If, if you have other questions, fun questions, we welcome them. Uh, if you're checking in from Ecuador, we heard from someone in Canada who wants to know why we hate Canada. I don't hate Canada. I was just disappointed with our performance in Canada. Anyone around the world, please do, uh, email us or check in. Uh, you can email at asktedberg at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Tim Britton is Tim. Obviously that's not me. I am at OG Ted Berg. We love hearing feedback. Please rate, review, subscribe on all of the podcast places. Tim, can we can we have a better feeling podcast early next week after this series against the Phillies? You hope so. I mean, you would have like we talked about last time that uh, you are you know, correct. Richards, I, I do hope so. Richards and Pavetta uh, were the the opportunity for the offense to get healthy, and then at the end of the the uh the week you were going to have uh wheeler and eflin which would be a, a bit of a harder slog uh so maybe they'll you know we, we talk about reverse locks in baseball and how the the most lopsided pitching matchups sometimes go the other way just just because of the sport is weird maybe this will be the week that the mets get shut down by uh garrett richards and nick pavetta and then they go to philadelphia and they uh hit seven home runs in each game like they used to at citizens bank park one way or the other we will be back to talk about it tim Peace out. Adios.